Welcome to the Steering Change Podcast, navigating through the commercial transportation industry in Alberta and beyond. Powered by the Alberta Motor Transport Association. Here's your host, Josh Hanaberry. Friends in the industry, I'm your host, Josh Hanaberry, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Steering Change Podcast. So in a recent health and safety training class that I took, I recall discussing with some of my classmates the mandatory requirements employers must have in place here in Alberta and how many employers we have all worked for were honestly unaware of such requirements. So as the conversation progressed and the war stories came out, it was clear. Some employers talked about safety and they talked about their safety culture almost as a sales pitch, while others fostered a true safe working culture where you knew your safety was a top priority. So if you were to stop for a moment and consider some of your past employers or even your current employer, can you also identify an employer that was unaware of these requirements and others that were genuinely invested in your well-being as an employee, but more so as a person? So creating a safe working culture doesn't happen by accident. There are specific steps an organization and their people need to take to get this done. Which brings us to today's episode as I'm super excited to speak with Marina Roland, Senior HSC Coordinator with Aero Transportation Systems, and Dave Elniski, Advisor of Safety and Compliance here at AMTA, as we dive into what goes into creating a safe working culture and highlight some of the critical components that you can implement into your organization as well. All right, Marina, Dave, welcome. Super excited for today. It's super good to have you on the podcast. Morning, Josh. Morning, Dave. Super excited to be here. Happy to be here. This is awesome. The, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a phenomenal conversation and lots of celebration too, which is great. So Marina, to start us off, why don't you share a little bit about yourself as well as your role at Aero Transportation Systems? Uh, sure. So my name is Marina Roland. Um, I've been the senior HSC coordinator with Aero Transportation Systems for about five and a half years now. Um, I'm just going to do a little bit of background on Aero. Uh, we're going to call it Aero from now on because Aero Transportation is a bit of a mouthful. So Aero is a company based in Kamloops, but we have operations all over Western Canada, Saskatchewan, uh, and the U.S. Pretty much anyone who sees an aero truck, that's what they know aero for, is those gold trucks with the red arrow on them. Uh, we do have about 500, 550 trucks, primarily do uh, wood fiber hauling, mining concentrate, and flatbed, and that sort of seems to be what everybody knows us for. But um, we also do reload operations. We have over, I think it's about 35, if not 40 or more reload operations in Canada and the US where we move multiple products from truck to rail and vice versa. We also have Earthworks Moving Company in BC. Uh, We do land reclamation. We have a power plant, a green energy power plant up in Fort St. James. We have an industrial shipyard in Richmond where we fix commercial boats basically. And then we have several forestry operations in the middle of BC. So um, there's quite a lot going on. We do have a relatively small team for such a big organization. So there's myself, There's Scott, who's based in Kamloops. There's my boss, Matt, who's based in Edmonton. Then there's Kayla, who's also based in Edmonton here with us. We have a return to work coordinator, Tiffany, in Kamloops. And then uh, we have a dedicated safety coordinator for the power plant. So we try to sort of stick to our own areas. So, for example, my area is the reload operations. But that being said, it's not uncommon that we have to enter into multiple areas or help support or um, help when it comes to takeovers or new companies or new locations. So it uh, we bounce around a lot. It's pretty overwhelming at times in terms of the amount of product that's handled, but I really love it. I wouldn't change anything about it. It's forever changing, forever interesting. I'm never doing the same thing twice. 
So I do, I really enjoy working for Arrow. It's powerful. The, uh, it's funny when we were talking, like every interview we, we meet before we do an actual interview, just to talk about conversation. And when Marina was sharing just the, the variety of services and area of expertise that as an organization, you're kind of like, oh my goodness. So hearing you like fully explain, I'm just like, and then knowing that you're, you run a lean team, you're efficient, you're great at what you do. Like I like Matt, great guy. So shout out to Matt and the, uh, just knowing, yeah, the impact that you're having in our economy and obviously in transportation, I think it's phenomenal. And just knowing, yeah, how many like different subsectors you impacted and you touch and you in your role, you have an influence over, I think it's pretty phenomenal. So thanks for coming here today. We appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. Absolutely. All right, Dave, my friend, your turn. How about a little bit about yourself and your role here at AMTA? Alrighty. Well, I'm Dave Velniski, uh, the Alberta Motor Transport Association's Industry Advisor in Safety and Compliance. So I work in Workplace Support Services. It's a department within Member Services. And I guess the best way to describe what I do, I just help carriers, other companies, safety professionals, drivers, anyone else who wants to reach out with their questions related to occupational health and safety, and then also transportation specific safety. So Canada's regulations that are inspired by the National Safety Code, as well as uh, US DOT compliance. So we can kind of assist with cross-border operations as well. Basically, just always happy to discuss things related to trucking, busing, and, and any other type of safety. It's also awesome. And just to brag about my teammate and my friend, um, I've been fortunate to know Dave for quite a while now, and the amount of opportunities I discover in my role where Dave, like I find a pain point with a carrier that to me, it's a really unique situation and I bring it to Dave and sometimes within minutes, it's like this gift wrap solution and it's Dave will come across, well, it's not that hard. I'll walk you through it. Or it could be a complex situation where Dave is just phenomenal at actually hearing the pain point. And if it's holding someone's hand to walk, walk them through a super stressful situation, if it's preparation, if it's coaching and mentorship, like the guy's a stud. And this is his friend too. I do really celebrate his disability to connect on a human level too. Like I really value our friendship and I'm same thing, man. I'm happy that you're here. I think this is going to be a really good conversation. I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Josh. Yeah, I appreciate it. Absolutely. So why don't you uh, yeah, kind of run with it from here? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the focus today we really want to highlight, we're going to talk about building a culture of safety in your organization. So specifically what Marina and her team are doing at Arrow and what guidance perhaps I could provide in various situations when working with trucking companies. Also want to make sure that we, uh, we mentioned the fact that Marina was AMTA's 2023 Safety Person of the Year which is a, it's a really cool accomplishment. It's a big deal. And we're excited to celebrate our 2024 Safety Person of the Year Award at our conference this year, coming up in April, which will be held in Calgary. So absolutely, please reach out for details. We'll share the link for our 2024 conference in the show notes and uh, encourage you to join us. So on your winning, Marina, of the, of the Safety Person of the Year Award, could you touch on your experience last year uh, with that award and perhaps any thoughts you had about receiving it and leading up to it? Sure. Yeah. So to be honest, it was a complete surprise. So for those of you who don't know how the process works, basically there's a nomination form that anyone who belongs to the AMTA can fill out. They nominate someone. Then uh, we have a council at the time. It was the Injury Reduction and Training Committee, which I'll call ERTAC. They basically vote. They look at the applications, they vote, and then they choose now, at the time that this was happening, I was the chair of that committee. 
And so in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, safety person year is coming up. We're going to have to think about it. But I hadn't seen anything through. I don't know. You guys did such a good job of keeping it a secret. I didn't even think of anything. I'm like, oh, we're not missing it. Everything is going to be fine. We'll find out. And then all of a sudden, I find out from an email that my boss, Matt, had sent to our com- our executives basically saying that I had won the award and congratulations and thank you for all your hard work, which was really wonderful. But I was taken uh, quite aback and I was quite surprised, Um, obviously honored. It's one thing to be nominated for that award by your peers, but it's another thing, in my opinion, to be nominated by your boss. And Matt's always been super supportive and really helped my career grow. So it was really nice to achieve that specifically from him. Uh, In reference to how it kind of shaped, I guess, the year so, Um, I'm sure there are some people that are going to be able to sympathize with this, but I struggle really badly with uh, imposter syndrome. I don't think, I hope that's not particularly uncommon, but I don't think it is. And I find particularly in the world of safety, I mean, I think it's come a long way. In in the past, I would say probably even five years ago when I started and longer before that, safety has always been looked at, let's say, quote unquote, negatively. I don't find that that's the case nowadays, but what I do find is what we do day to day is we're constantly challenging people just not even it doesn't not even in a negative way, but we're challenging their way of thinking, we're challenging their processes, we're challenging, we're adding another layer of things that they have to think of outside of, okay, how do I move product from point A to point B? But how do I also do it safely within these constraints? So I find that sometimes when all you're doing all day is challenging people, even if the response you get is positive, it just feels like you're always kind of running that challenge, I guess. So it kind of helped, I guess, give me confidence in that, yeah, sure, I'm doing that all day, but that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm doing it well, and it's doing what it needs to do, at least for Arrow. I can't say that maybe not everybody feels that way in the safety industry, but, and again, it's not meant to sound as a negative, but it just, that's our job is to challenge people. And so, yeah, it just gave me a little bit of confidence. I think the whole, the list last year, I've been able to grow quite a bit because of it, because I know that the path I'm doing is what I'm supposed to be doing and feels good. And yeah, you, you mentioned your path, and I'd, I'd like to talk about that just a little bit because I know that when you received the award last year, it was also mentioned, and it was Matt yelled out from the audience. And you're a CRSP as well, so that that was right around that time. And then I can't remember if he had said it or who had said it uh, during the when the award was announced, but it kind of showed your career at Arrow from how you started, and I believe you started as a student there, right? And then yeah, hired on, and then now you're CRST and then CRSP and then safety person of the year. That, that's a, that's phenomenal growth. And Thank I don't you. think you're wrong about the imposter syndrome either. I, I, I feel that too. I think that's pretty common as far as I can tell, but I would suppose that, I mean, you're doing good things. So maybe that just comes with the territory. I don't know. I guess. So, so moving on to safety. So in your opinion, what are some critical components that employers need to consider when they're building a safe working culture within their organization? Sure. Okay. So I wrote a little bit of a list here uh, just because I wanted to make sure I kept on point here. I chose, there's four here. I'm not sure if we're going to have time to get to all of them. Number one, though, I think is most important for any organization is having two-way open communication. If you don't have that, no matter what else you do, you're going to fail. At least in my opinion, could be wrong. That's my opinion. Because you want to be able to know when there's issues because I guarantee you you're going to have issues things aren't going to go perfectly you're not going to know the solution the people out there aren't going to know what they're supposed to do out in the field we try our best and everybody tries to you know we make these processes these JSAs these SOPs all this safety lingo we think we're told is the way to do it but 
I guarantee you you're going to run into issues. So you need to be able to build that trust with your people. So get out in the field, um, meet people. That's the biggest thing I did. Like when I came into Aero or just into the industry, Aero was my first job. And I knew nothing about trucking, nothing, zip, zero. So the first thing I did was just get out there and meet everybody. Because like I say, even five years ago, Aero's grown quite a bit. But even five years ago, there was over 40 managers and supervisors that I was dealing with on a regular basis and trying to help support them remotely. So I did as much as I could, got out there, wanted to meet them, wanted to see the work that they're doing. Because again, you can watch videos online, you can take your quote unquote forklift training certification online, and you can get all that practical knowledge. But until you see it, you don't really understand it. So you want to be able to just build that rapport with, even if you still aren't 100% confident in the work that's being done, but knowing that that manager or supervisor or lead hand can pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, I have this issue, please help me. I know it's not right, I know it's not correct, or I know it's not what we're supposed to be doing, but I don't know how to fix it. So that's number one. And then kind of leading into that is when you get those phone calls um, or when you find that there's issues, making sure that it's not dealt with in a punitive manner. Now, that being said, there are times where discipline is appropriate. I'm not going to touch on that. That's an HR issue. Don't get me wrong. There are times where discipline fits. (laughs) But I think if you're trying to build a safety culture, if someone says, hey, I crashed the forklift through an office, which we've had happen. You don't want to punish that person or make them feel as if reporting that issue was their fault or they're now going to get written up or they're going to get terminated. You can do all of that, but you're not going to fix the problem of why did that forklift crash into the office. So one thing that I've kind of delved into, and I'm a little bit late jumping on this bandwagon, but recently I started listening to a podcast called The Hot Nerd. Really, really good. I recommend anyone listen to it who's kind of just dipping their toes into the human and organizational performance space. I'm only maybe 20 episodes in, but they're really short. They range from about 20 minutes or sorry, one minute to 40 minutes, I think, averaging at about 20. And a few of the things that it talks about on there are the basic five principles of human organizational performance, two of which are people make errors. We can't change that. They're going to happen. And the other one is our responses to those failures matter. So kind of reiterates the same thing I'm talking about here, but if we have a negative response or if we're going to punish or if we're going to blame or if we're going to finger point, people are not going to come to us. They're not going to come looking for solutions, even for small things. So we just want to make sure that we're fostering an organization where people feel comfortable talking to us. I think those two kind of go hand in hand. Can I just hit something quick that you that you just said? I think it's critical, especially to our listeners, because I know who's listening right now, we're all coming in all different shapes and sizes. And a lot of times when something happens, the instant knee-jerk reaction is fear. And if you're a safety professional or if you're an operations leader, and my favorite expression is empathy over tyranny. Let's actually understand what happened before we start cracking whips. And when you actually understand the thought process and the situations that took place for such event to happen, oftentimes it's not just straight neglect. It's not a deliberate action I wanted to put that forklift through. It's okay. There was a lot happening. And when you have eyes wide open and leaning on your experience was, which also I wanted to compliment your, I remember when we first met and you shared that you spent time in the field, people love talking about what they're good at. And when you know, say it's Steve or Kelly, that's operating such piece of equipment, you know, you spent time with them, you know, their character, you know, how much they care about their family, all of those other components. 
when an incident happens that you have to go investigate, your eyes are wide open on, okay, they're a human. They matter. I have a relationship with them. So you can be empathetic and it's not just, note your your ID number is 111. Like that's all you know. So I just wanted to compliment that and also use that as encouragement to our listeners just to know like that's critical. And that really does help the longevity of your own success because if you're the safety person that's getting complained about all the time, maybe your career is a little cut short, but I just wanted to highlight that before we moved on. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate that. Yeah, so then the next one um, I wanted to bring up here, and this isn't, I would say, a quote-unquote component, but just something to think about. And this one, I think, took me a little bit longer to learn. I would, I really say that maybe 18 months ago is when I really started focusing on it, but change takes time. And I know, especially when you're new and you're green and you're told, okay, go and do this audit and make an action plan and you put that action plan into play and you're like, yeah, of course this is achievable. Why can't they hit these deadlines or this and that? Like, should be easy. But the biggest thing is go slow and don't try to tackle too much at once because I've experienced it. You're not going to get any headway. And not that people don't want to move forward, or, but it's just you have to remember that safety is this little tiny part of what they're doing. And yes, it's very impactful. And yes, it's big. But when it comes to running a day-to-day operation, whether it's construction, transportation, mining, oil and gas, anything, it's one component of what they're dealing with. And so to you, it looks like a small plan, but to them, it could be so overwhelming on compared to what they already have. So my suggestion is just choose one or two items at a time to focus on. Some of those can be done in three days. Some of those can be done in a week. Some take six months, eight months, 12 months. But just choose one or two to focus on. It's uh, it's something that I've struggled with explaining to other leaders in within even our organization, let alone others, is that I know we want it done tomorrow or yesterday for that fact. <laughs> but to make it achievable and to get the buy-in particularly, you need to take your time. Because otherwise, you might get the goal, you might achieve the goal, but you don't have the buy-in. So, and that's... At that point, if you're looking at trying to get an action plan completed in, let's say, three months, that's the best case scenario is the items will be done, but there's no buy-in. Worst case, nothing gets done. There's no moving forward. So and then kind of tying into my last one is having that end goal in mind, but being open to how that looks. So, for example, I think it's great, especially for those organizations that don't already have it, but have core be an end goal. And I know that core does have very specific items that it meets but that can look different for every organization and even if you're moving between organizations just because one process worked in your old construction job let's say doesn't mean that it's going to work at your transportation job and you might be able to still meet the requirement but it's just going to flow what that looks like and it's going to take some trial and error it's going to take that communication with your field staff to say hey this is what i want to achieve how can we do this or how does that look for you on a day-to-day so yeah, those are my four. I don't know if you guys have any questions or follow up on that. Just quickly, the uh, when uh, Marina <coughs> mentioned core, so certificate of recognition, and we'll dive into that just a little bit later in our conversation too. I just wanted to touch on that quick. But yeah, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, so I guess, uh, so to recap then, so the four items that you brought up, just so I'm understanding it, uh, the importance of two-way communication, yep. the importance of building trust and fostering psychological safety in the organization, mm-hmm. the fact that change takes time, Yep. And then keeping the end goal in mind while being open to what it might look like. Yep. So flexible and focused. Flexible and focused. Yep. Or at least have some sort of goal. I mean, you may not know what that looks like. The goal might be 
we want to have a health and safety management system. That's a pretty open goal, and I don't think there's anything wrong oh, yeah. with that goal. I think it just at least, okay, this is what we're focusing on for 2024. And then you kind of work backwards, figure out how that's going to happen, okay. what that looks like. In your opinion, then, can any size of an organization implement oh, these four components to improve the safety of their operation or, you know, really for any other, I, I mean, what you brought up is applicable beyond just a, a safety management system, but I guess, can any size do this work? Oh, of course. I think the larger the organization, the more challenging it's going to be. I think that's just a reality. Doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means that it might take longer or you might have to even narrow down smaller and slower and bit by bit. It's another thing. I, re- I should really get you guys the name of that podcast because I'm going to mention it here again. I'll try to get a mention of it so you guys can put the link down in the show notes. But again, on the Hop Nerd podcast, he talks about kind of when organizations who have implemented what they call the basics um, and they're not really seeing any progress, kind of what is the top advice that he has? And what he always says is take your time and go talk to people. And I think that that's where it is with large organizations is you're not going to just implement this process and you're not going to say, okay, we're going to be more communicative. And it's probably going to take a year just to get communication and trust before you can do anything else. But yeah, that's really resonated. And then smaller organizations, totally. I don't want to use the word downfall, but I think the maybe stereotype of small organizations is when there's fewer people, communication is better because you're all in the same place and there's only five or six or 10 of you. But that may not be the case, you know, just because you're in the same space doesn't mean your communication is better. For example, me, True, and yep. Matt and Kayla all work in the same office, but that doesn't mean that we're 100 percent communicating all day, every day. To be honest, most of the time we communicate better when we're out of the same space because we know or we're working on the assumption that the other person isn't there to kind of overhear or be in the same room and that kind of stuff. So just something to consider for both sides organizations. No, that's a really good point. And I mean, it kind of ties into the idea that I, I'm sure lots of people have heard that, you know, that the, the differences between, you know, small family company versus big organization, small family, you know, you treat it like family, it's more personable, big organization, you know, you're just a number. I don't, I don't really think that's the case. I think that organizations are too complicated to be categorized that way. You can have a, you can work for a family company and learn very quickly that because you're not family, you're not in the club and you can work for a big organization where you have a supportive supervisor and manager and, and absolutely thrive and, and feel that, that sense of connection. So I guess everything that you brought up makes good sense, especially the fact that change just takes time. And that's something that I, I will talk to carriers about companies, individuals about is that you, you can't expect and it's not that you can't turn a ship on a dime or whatever. It's just that people take time to change and that's okay. But also you had mentioned that, you know, okay, let's, let's go back to an action plan for a moment. If you want to push an action plan deadline, there's lots of examples in safety where, or manufacturing, all kinds of atmospheres where let's set a goal. We're going to hit it, but it's an authoritative culture and people just find ways to be creative. They'll be like, well, okay, yeah, defects are down. Why? Because we stopped reporting them. They never got fixed that we got in trouble when we did report them. So we just stopped reporting them. But it yep. looks good. We've met our goals. I work with a lot of company owners and, and managers and leaders. And that's that's something that sometimes just has to be explained. Depending on your leadership style and your expectations, your metrics might not be that accurate, I suppose, is one way to put it. So Arrow obviously has our core and we're quite successful at it. And it's kind of been like a ongoing process for us in the sense that it's 
we've done it so many times. I mean, Arrow's had their core for, I think, over 30 years. It's relatively, uh, I don't want to use the word easy, but it is. We do the same thing. Our processes are in place. But every year, for those who don't know, you have to come up with an action plan of all the items that came out as deficient and what's your plan to correct them. Now, we definitely create that action plan because it's a requirement of the core audit. But Matt might kill me for saying this out on a podcast in public, but we <laughs> there's there's some on there that we just know we're never going to complete. Like they're just at that point what we call a box ticking item because for us it's either not feasible or won't add value to our safety program or the amount of resources that it would take to achieve that one item is just um, too much. So you can take those action plans and they might be great and just know that they're not always feasible and they're not always, you're not going to tick every box and that that's okay. And that doesn't mean that you're not doing well. It doesn't mean you're not successful. That doesn't mean you're unsafe. Sometimes it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit what you need to do. That's a really good point because often um, somebody who's looking at a safety audit report or an action plan looks at that and says, it looks at it as if it's, a, it's like a script. Yeah. It's like a, you shall do these things and as a result be better. Could you perhaps give an example of, I don't I want to pry into Arrow's business, but it's also important for the audience to recognize that just because it's written on an action plan doesn't mean that it's, it necessarily needs to be done. It's, it's done by an auditor and it can be challenged as well. Do you have any examples that you feel comfortable sharing? Perhaps? I do, because there's one that gets us every, every year. And it's both on the, because we are audited in BC and in Alberta. Uh, and basically there's a question that asks is, senior leadership, again, I don't know how the question itself is phrased, but basically committed or shows commitment or demonstrates commitment to its staff. And at least in BC, what they want basically is for the CEO to get to every branch and basically have a short meeting or have some sort of statement like, hey, I'm here, we're committed to safety, Arrow's committed to safety, okay. And for us, we have one CEO and how many locations now do we have? Like between everything I mentioned, over 60, probably, if not more, like I'm just ballparking and it's probably way more than that. It's just not feasible for him to do that. And it's not, I hate to say it, but it's not the best value of his time or the money spent that it would take because we are all the way in Stewart, which is in Northern BC, all the way to Texas. So it's not like it's going to five locations that are all driving distance. And maybe one day, maybe I'm completely making it up, but I just don't think we'll get there. Maybe we will. Maybe in three, four years, once we've been able to complete everything else that's on the list, maybe we will get there. Who knows? But where I see Arrow going and the growth that I see, it just, that is not something that is going to make us safer. Or does it have value? Yes. I'm not going to say that that doesn't have value, but there are other ways that we could explore doing it. And maybe it's having, you know, each VP or each general manager, because we have various levels of executives, but they want, the question is specifically on the CEO. So no, we're, that's at the moment never going to happen. And you know what? That's fair because I mean, um, there's lots of ways that a senior leader can show commitment without just showing up for a, you know, a Friday barbecue and, and yeah, just exactly. physically being present. We're going to switch a little bit just to education. Can you share your educational journey, you know, especially because you continue to advance your career as a safety professional? Are there any courses you've taken that have been essential for career development? Sure. So I graduated from the University of Alberta in 2014 with my Bachelor's of Commerce. I was an HR major, accounting minor, and kind of halfway through my third year, 
I realized, you know, <laughs> I don't think I want to do this for the rest of my life, but I wanted to stick it out and I wanted to finish. I knew that there was value in that, at least for me personally. So I finished that in 2014 and then I took some time off, kind of figured out what I wanted to do, worked a little bit, traveled. Then in 2000, and it would have been 15 or yeah, 2015, I started my occupational health and safety diploma with NATE, the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, because I knew that safety was what I wanted to do. I had been told by lots, I worked in a sports bar at the time, and I had been told by a lot of the customers, like, hey, you'd be really great at that. A lot of our customers were in the oil and gas and construction industry. So and I thought, yeah, okay, sounds something I would do. Now, there's lots of ways to get into the safety field, but I saw this diploma uh, with Nate, and I thought, you know what, I'll apply if I get in. That's the route I'm going to go. So I did that, graduated in 2018. They have a co-op program uh, that they put you through. Typically, you do it in between years one and two. But just due to some personal factors, I deferred it till the end of my program, which they thankfully let me do. And that got me with Arrow. Now, at the time, Matt, my current boss, had hired me and he basically said, like, we need help. We have four months worth of work. But just so that you're aware, it's not likely that you will continue to be hired after these four months. He was very clear, not that it wasn't possible, but they were almost. I don't want to say unaware, but you don't know what you don't know until you know it, if that makes sense. So once they had me in that resource, I had started as an administrator type role. They realized, wow, there's a lot more that we can do and need to do. So long story, not really short, but that's how I got on with my permanent position with Arrow. They immediately had me go through the uh, CRST program, which I achieved in spring of 2019. Then in the spring of 2023, I took my CRSP and I was successful, which thank God that was the most stressful three months of my life, but I did it. So right now I'm taking a bit of a professional break in terms of growth. The CRSP was sort of my big goal when I got the job with Arrow. That's what I wanted to do. Um, So now I've I've achieved it. I'm taking a breather. I'm really enjoying it. CTSP is my next one. Um, I'm slowly going to work through that one, hopefully start in the fall. We'll see. I know you got some. we've got some time to complete it. So I think as long as I get that application in and I'd like to get started and then as time works, as it fits into my schedule, we'll make it work. Uh, now, when it comes to courses, so I wouldn't say that there's any one or two or even three courses that were essential to my career. I would say the uh, OHS Diploma with Nate was definitely beneficial. I wouldn't say it was a make or break, but it definitely helped me get my foot in the door. But that being said, that gave me the technical, quote unquote, safety knowledge. Like it taught me about legislation and violations. And at three meters, you must have fall protection in Alberta. And this is a confined space. But it doesn't. I mean, as good as the Nate program is, it gives you a lot of practical knowledge, but it doesn't teach you industry specific or how to apply those technical concepts in different organizations. Mm. So when I first came on, with Aero permanently, uh, Matt had put me through a ton of courses, mostly with the AMTA. So I did the WCB claims management course. I did legislation standards and policies. I did health and safety systems building. I did several incident investigation courses. I did a full, what was at the time, OSAS fault protection course. And that to me was more critical than my safety knowledge in the sense of It was still the technical safety topics, but it was taught in a mostly transportation focused way and gave a lot of practical. Okay, so 
worker is tarping their load and they hurt their back and they're going to be out for this long, what does that mean to the organization? And so I found any of those courses and all of them combined really critical just to kind of help me wrap my, my brain around, okay, how do those technical components apply to transportation? Okay. Uh, you mentioned the CTSP. So I'm going to, yeah. um, for those listening, that's that's an AMTA designation. That's one of ours. And it's the Certified Transportation Safety Professional designation. There's a coordinator level as well, Certified Transportation Safety Coordinator. So similar to the CRST, CRSP designations, which are the Canadian Registered Safety Technician and Safety Professional uh, designations. It's kind of, you know, there's the two layers there. It kind of sounds like you're... Uh, Kind of got a lot of it already done, Marina, actually, for all those courses. But uh, so throw that application in. We'll be happy to have you. I think that um, I, I would say that I, I would kind of agree with you said, you know, like I've a lot of the safety training that I've taken is I've received similarly in that it's been really useful. You, you need the technical knowledge. And just, sometimes, yeah, you just have to you just have to go sit down and read it and, and be taught it. Our CTSP designation I found very useful and I was working through it. I, I did that before the CRSP and found it was very useful because I was at a I was at a trucking company that was they did trucking that they were a carrier when they talk safety they were talking national safety code not occupational health and safety and it was the only program that did anything had anything to do with national safety code that that brought up the importance of the traffic safety act regulations that commercial carriers have to follow in this province so it was quite useful that way but I'm really I was glad to hear that well obviously the co-op was uh, was very good for you, very good to you. Although it would have been you were the reason why it would have worked. But thank you. I guess it also sort of sounds like you sort of made your role a little bit. Oh yeah, I mean when I started, there was my current boss Matt. He was just transitioning into the director role, and then there was the previous director Rick, who was transitioning out. And they had get like don't get me wrong, they gave me tasks to do. But at the end of the day, like, I remember, I think it was day two or day three, Matt says, okay, stop everything you're doing. He was traveling for work. I got an email that says, stop whatever you're doing. Everything else I told you to do, you have to focus on this next. And I'm like, okay, great. And then it just sort of snowballed. I think two weeks later, I wasn't supposed to be traveling at all. Two weeks later, we had just acquired a new log towing operation in Adams Lakes, BC. And he's like, okay, now stop everything else you're doing. And you need to go here and you need to basically learn what they're doing and write procedures. And so, yeah, I definitely had some guidance, but being able to have some autonomy in my work and I wasn't told go and make a work alone policy, go and make a smoking policy, go and make JSAs. It was go look at the work and see what needs to be done. I'm like, okay, perfect. So I was able to sort of pick and choose what that meant and what that looked like and what are they missing and what do we need to develop? And I think that's, where they saw value in that on paper, they might've checked a lot of boxes, but hey, let's peel back that onion a little bit and what are we missing? And so, yeah, I was able to do that. I still feel like I do that most days is kind of make my own job, make my own work, peel that onion away and expose some of the issues maybe people don't want to hear about, but <laughs> I do really enjoy it. Well, you have autonomy, it sounds like. I do. Oh, yeah. I'm really thankful for my job yeah. here. I mean, I started, I was, how old was I when I started here? Late 20s, basically, mid to late 20s. And I'm not going to say with 100% certainty that I'll retire here, but I can't imagine having a better autonomy, a better boss to work for and better work-life balance. I really, I kind of, I think I have it all. And I hope that everyone else is able to find this sort of work, whatever that means for them. Yeah, no, I would say that uh, I've I've been fortunate to have autonomy in my current role and the job I had before it. And 
maybe that might be the very best thing about him in a lot of ways is that that ability to be recognized as you're, you're an individual, you can contribute and you can identify problems, bring them up and, and help move the organization forward. Dave, I was just going to say, I think when we're talking health and safety, one of the cool parts too is the on the job learning and a lot of the education is done, not necessarily stop, do it in four month like sections. Totally. I think when you're able to pursue various designations and apply it, it's a two day course or it's a week course or a three week course, you're living in an environment where you can actually apply it. I think that's also critical because of the fact that it's not just learning theory and hope you remember when you get into the field. But I think that's really important. Dave, I just wanted to pivot a little bit. Uh, Marina, I was really interested to know, again, your journey has been, I think it's unique, but I think a lot of people can relate. Um, I think it's more of a, you're the North Star in this conversation, though. It's like, oh, I can get to there. So is there any advice that you would share to maybe someone that was like yourself five years ago, just starting out, and now they're like, hey, I see something here. I see the autonomy. I see the career growth. What advice would you give them to kind of, if it's a push or a pull into this kind of field? Sure. So a few things, like even just getting back before, if you're just looking to step your toe into the safety world, or you're trying to figure out how to get that job, going back to what we said that industry specific training is really great. But in order to get into that industry, I would suggest go and take just any generic safety course that you can find. U of A has a certificate program, but I believe you can take their courses individually. AMTA has courses. There's several online diploma programs. And again, you don't have to do the full program. But for example, when we were hiring our newest hire, Kayla, she's our current HSC administrator, we, Matt and I discussed that we were looking for someone, we don't care if they've ever had any knowledge on trucking or have had any safety experience at all whatsoever. But if they come with some of that technical knowledge that we don't have to teach them what a JSA is or what a site-specific hazard assessment is or what our engineering controls versus administrative controls, if we don't have to teach them that part of it, we can teach them the trucking side of it. So this could just be my experience and what Arrow was looking for at the time. Again, I've only ever worked for Arrow, so I can't say that it's a blanket across, but I know when we were doing the hiring, that's what we were looking for. Uh, Now, once you kind of get into the role. I'm going to go back to what I said about communication and building trust. Get out in the field, meet people. Even if you're just out there working from a workstation for half a day or a day or participating in training with them, like if we have a first aid, if you have a first aid course with a group of the forklift operators, just go and sit in that course. Whether you need it for your job or not is irrelevant, but just building that trust, getting to know the people, I would say it was probably two years that that's what I focused on doing. And sure, I had other things to do and we would do little audits here and there. But I would say it took a good 18 months to two years, primarily because of the size of the organization with Arrow. But that's all I wanted to do. Get out there, meet people, talk to them, learn their job, watch forklifts operate. Like even now, I'll let the guys probably hate it because they think, who's that lady staring at me? But I love going out when we have new commodities or really big projects. I love going and just watching the guys do their work and not even from a, are they doing it quote unquote correctly, but just, uh, wow, I'm so fascinated that you guys can move this giant transformer with this crane and put it on a truck. Like, it's just so cool. And I think the more that you do that, the more naturally your job will just come and flow and build. Totally agreed. That's awesome. And then when you're going through those steps and self-reflection or as well as encouragement to 
maybe new safety professionals. How important has it been? Like, I know we've name dropped Matt a few times, which again, shout out to Matt. Matt, you're a phenomenal dude. How important has mentorship been and how important is mentorship to others when they're navigating through their journey too? Uh, Extremely important. I think no matter what role you're in, mentorship is important. I think the biggest thing from my perspective is because Arrow already had quite an established safety culture, is having that mentorship from a culture perspective. I already, like we've said, know the technical stuff, but I really learned from both Matt and uh, Rick, the former director, on completely different but equally important aspects of how that culture at Arrow works and how to get that respect. Like probably within my first, I don't know, two months, even month at Arrow, I was just flabbergasted at the respect that our safety department had because everyone hears a negative. Everyone hears, oh, everyone hates safety. Nobody wants safety around. I had seen some pretty negative interactions with safety before I had come to Arrow, and that was not the case here. And so learning how to keep that going and how to build that for myself was crucial. I'm grateful for Matt's mentorship and my journey and the nice compliments, but the uh, my first when I first transitioned full-time into a transportation safety role, uh, Byron, he was my director at the time, and I still quote what he shared, and this was almost 10 years ago, and I still will... Like some of his biggest thing, is that opinion or is that law? Is that your opinion, Josh, or is that law? Like, and I think keeping that perspective, especially when you're dealing with guidance and we do a lot of advising working at the association is, is this my opinion or is this actually what the law says? That type of advice has been very helpful throughout my journey. And yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's a good shout out too, to our listeners that are a mentor to others, that you are really grooming someone's journey and you're giving a lifeline to someone to say, hey, this is a different type of career than I ever thought I'd get into. Similar to some of the greatest safety professionals are former drivers like Dave. Dave is a rock star behind the wheel and he's a rock star in the safety environment and just how he's been able to really elevate, navigate his career. I think it's, yeah, that's really good. So I appreciate that. Thank you. You bet. One thing I actually do want to add to that that I wanted to say, um, I think it's also important to have your mentor in the safety role, but I think it's just as equally important to search for a mentor outside of it. Because I think being mentored in safety is great and not to say that that person can't mentor you in multiple areas, but I think it's really great to have someone on the outside saying, okay, that's great. That's how we apply it to safety. And now here's how we apply it on the operations side. And maybe even less of a full on mentorship, but just having that other person that you can see you know, this is how they build a team. This is just to have the dual perspective. Okay, this is how my mentor builds a team, but this is how this manager over here builds his team. And just to get different perspectives, not to say one is right, one is wrong, but as a person, one way or approach may work better for you than the other. Do you ever have mentors outside of the organization? Not in my experience, no, but I do think it's beneficial. I know that maybe not nowadays, but I know when I was back in university, that was sort of the golden star of mentorship was get a mentor outside the organization so that it's purely based on you as a person and doesn't influence on the organizational side. I do think it has value. I've never searched it out or had the opportunity yet, but I wouldn't be opposed to it. Okay. So in a recent episode on this podcast, retention, like like staff retention was discussed. So in your experience, how does uh, empowering people, staff, employees, contractors, whomever's under your safety program to operate safely, to be safe, uh, impact 
retention? I think empowering your staff with any autonomy, let alone safety autonomy, is going to impact your retention. And that probably varies a little bit from generation to generation. I think the biggest thing is when Arrow empowers their employees to work safely, it shows that we care about them. And it shows that like, hey, all we want is for you to go home at the end of the day safely. And everyone who has ever worked for an organization, like if your employer cares about you, you're more willing to stick around. Will it fix all the problems? No. But if you know your employer cares about you, you might be willing to either work harder, stay longer, put in more effort, or even just be willing to accept that it's not always perfect, you know? So I think that's really important. On that, how do you, how do I want to word this? Uh, so if you're, if you're talking about empowering staff at, at Arrow to operate safely, and then you also mentioned the importance of autonomy, which I agree with, could you give an example of, let's say somebody who like is like a, like a machinery operator, like a, like a forklift driver, a truck driver, how can you empower somebody to be safe, to have autonomy in health and safety, especially because it's often, you know, a lot of the way health and safety done, it's very authoritative and here's the steps and it's designed. So there is no deviation from the process. So how can you empower somebody and give them autonomy while um, maintaining your safety culture? So I think I'm going to use like a very simple example to start here is don't, wherever you can avoid it, try to not do hard and fast rules or to give options with those hard and fast rules. So a classic one I always use is Arrow's policy for cleats is you must wear cleats in snowy and wintry operation. That being said, we offer two different types of cleats for the guys. And before we even rolled those out, we sent samples to, I think it was six different divisions, kind of our major divisions. We sent the, uh, for those who know, there's a heel style, a mid style and a full sole. And we asked for feedback and we said, what do you guys like? And what do you don't like? And it probably took, that was the first year I was with Arrow. And I would say it took another full, so that was a full winter. It took the next full winter before I would say we were 100% compliant. Because again, change takes time. So, and now we let the guys choose which of the two options we want. And beyond that, if, okay, neither of those work for you, what would you prefer? Let's look at that option. We're not going to say outright, yeah, we'll go and buy you your $350, $450 spike boots. We will evaluate that option. And if that's truly the better option, we'll do it. Hands down. Like Arrow will never say no, you know, and we're always looking for ways. Actually, I have another good example, too, was Matt got a call from one of our managers the other day. And this is when it was minus 45 here. It's freaking freezing. And our safety glasses are fogging up. Can I go and buy ski goggles for the guys to wear? Because so that they have their balaclavas on and then the ski goggles go kind of where the seam is so that they don't fog up, but our guys are still protected. Because at that point, the option was either the guys don't wear safety glasses because they can't see because of the fog, or we go and buy them ski goggles, keeps their face warm, and they're wearing some sort of eye protection. So, of course, we're going to say, yeah, if that's the option and if that's what you can do, it's minus 45 degrees. We're not going to say, no, you have to use that option because that's what the law says and that's the only option, even though it's not working, work blind. No, we're not going to do that. That's another. Those are very simple examples. Another one I always use is, let's say you want to make a new SOP. The first thing I always do is ask the guys to sit down and whether it's your monthly meeting or just with a couple guys with the toolbox talk or grab a guy in the yard and just have him go through the process with me or with the manager. Like have me go through that process. Tell me what you do because 
whatever process I write, I want it to be what you're doing. I don't want you to have to change your process as long as it's safe and meets all the requirements, all that. Just because I, someone in an office with no forklift experience, says that's how you have to do it. That's a really good example, too, of you empowering your staff, too, for safety. And that's an interesting example, too, because if you look at the occupational health and safety right to participate in the workplace, sometimes, yeah, you have to go out and give people that right because they might not know that they have it. And that, exactly. that's a really cool example. And you also talked about change. And I can imagine if you think, you know, one approach is you have to have cleats. Here's your cleats, wear them, the end. And then we're going to monitor compliance versus your approach. Sounds like your approach would probably take a lot longer. It'd probably be a lot more effective. Yep. We'll have people taking off the cleats they don't like when the manager's not looking. So that's that's really cool. Do you, have you ever had any specific examples of workers expressing their gratitude for the effort the company puts into creating safe work environments? Like, do workers ever say, "Yeah, Arrow is safety's part of Arrow, and I like it"? Like, does that? Do you ever hear that? Yeah. So um, one example that's really recent is so Arrow just took over a bunch of locations in the U.S. We took over six reload operations, four in Texas, one in Washington and one in Montana. And I have been to five, yes, five of the six. And every single place I went, the the comment was, thank you. We're so happy that you're here. Not to me personally, but like they may have said it, but not about me. They're not, thank you, Marina Roland, for being here. You're so important. But Thank you to Arrow for being here and showing that you care and providing us with PPE and providing us with support and telling us, you know, giving us some sort of framework because before that they had been operating in, and this is just speculation, but a little bit of a uh, no news is good news, keep doing what you're doing, but they weren't empowered to make any decisions when it came to, uh, okay, we need to buy new high-vis vests for the guys and that's going to be what we're doing and we need to buy new hard hats like it they, they were not empowered to make those decisions. And so, yeah, the response there has always has been so positive. And anytime we've taken over an organization, it's, there's always a worry about, oh, how is it going to be received? And this is the third one I've been part of. And we've been nervous every time going into it. And it's always been positive. The reception has always been positive. And I think that just speaks volumes to Arrow um, and their commitment, not only from the safety side and me and Matt and the team, but from our VPs and our executives and our HR team and everyone like it. It's, we don't just send one person out and say, OK, do this. We send a whole team and try to help them integrate and support and just be there for them. I'm just just a curiosity, just because I have a personally spent a lot of time in Montana trucking. Where Where is the reload yard that Arrow took over in Montana? It's in it Shelby. Uh, yeah. Shelby. Really? Yeah. I think I know exactly where I spent the night many times in a truck sleeper in that yard. You can, I think, I'm assuming you can run the, the Canadian weight super bees down to Shelby and then exit back up with a full load through coots like that, that whole deal. Run any trucks in the States. We do some logistics brokering in the States. Oh, okay. we have, Arrow does not have any trucks in the States. Sorry, that was just a little bit of a squirrel moment for me, but I, no, I remember awesome. a lot of times. I'm like, there can't be too yeah. many reloads in Shelby, so yes, I'm pretty sure it's the same one. I'm guessing. Awesome. Shelby's yeah. a, a great town for anybody who wants to go. You can park in the reload yard, spend the night, and walk down and get a good steak at one of the many places on their main street. So, like a, Okay, plug. sorry, I just had to ask. <laughs> it's an awesome plug. Honestly, it's been a great conversation. really appreciate Part of it is sharing your own personal journey. And when you're able to both do that, Dave, Marina, I think 
it, it builds trust. It builds consistency. When someone meets you in a different environment, they're going to be like, I know that story or I've been there. Like, I think that's really mm -hmm. powerful. And I also really appreciate when you can share specific examples and specific, like, this is a critical component that you want to do. Like, I like that too, because uh, again, our ultimate goal with the podcast is to really empower and educate. And I think you both just knocked it out of the park. So before we end, I always give the opportunity for the guests first, and then we'll close it off with Dave. But Marina, was there anything that you would like to share kind of as final words? And if someone had a question for you in regards to what we talked about today, are you comfortable sharing your email address as well? Yeah, you bet. I don't want to read out my email address because it's just a mouthful. So if you could put it in the show notes, that would be great. Any questions you guys have, feel free to reach out. I, this is what I say to our team all the time. I might not have the answer for you right then, but I'm always willing to help try to research or find or direct or help solve that problem. Yeah, just a couple of things to share. Uh, just because something works for me and my organization doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody. We all like to think that we have the best ideas and our way is the right way. <laughs> not to say it's not worth trying other ideas, but give something time. And just after 18 months, two years, if you've tried something, it might either not be the right time or it might not be the right approach for that company just because it works for me. And lastly, I just wanted to extend a thank you to Arrow and Matt and the whole team. Just it's been, I mean, I started as a green brand new safety person who thought I was going to be here for four months. And this is what five and a half years has gotten to me. And I wouldn't be here without Arrow. I wouldn't be here without Matt. Everything that they've done for my uh, career growth has been above and beyond what I would have ever expected. So thank you to everybody. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, too. You're absolutely rocked nice. it. This is good. Thanks, Jeff. So, absolutely. All right, my friend, Mr. Dave, can you bring us home? Any final words that you wanted to share, as well as the best email address? If people have questions, they want you up in their grill working on their safety and compliance with them, or yeah, however you want to help out. Sure. Well, I'm torn. Like, do I want to talk about safety or do I want to talk about how great Shelby, Montana is as a place to visit? <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not joking. It's, it's a wonderful town. I spent a lot of time there. We think, uh, you know, yeah, I think the one last, you, we talked a little bit about people entering the industry, um, specifically safety, you know, Marina, how you got into the industry and your recommendations for others. And I think that's something I'd want to return to for anybody listening. There's not an occupation out there that doesn't have a safety component. All employers have occupational health and safety obligations. And so I think if, if somebody is interested in safety, going into safety does not have to mean, you know, 180 degree about turn pivot in your career. Uh, my advice to anybody, like for myself, I got into trucking. I wanted to be a trucker. I just wanted to try it out. I didn't, didn't have kids at the time and I wanted to be a long haul truck driver. And that's what I did. And it was a lot of fun. It was a good job. But then I wanted to do something else and I wanted to get into safety. I liked that part of it. But I, I wanted to stay within trucking um, and I want to keep doing that because it's part of it's what I know, but also there's, you know, there's never a shortage of things to learn, but no matter what a person's past is, there's always a safety component. If somebody works in a restaurant and doesn't like perhaps certain things about the job or always what he has, it's always a pet peeve of mine. If you're ever interested in safety, well, think about that a little bit. What didn't you like about it? And there's, there's a good chance that part of it could be traced back to occupational health and safety that there's something going on that maybe isn't ideal. It could be a compliance issue or it could simply be they're not being as good as they could be. And I would always recommend that somebody, okay, you know what, you might be attracted to another industry, maybe because you've heard it pays better or for whatever reason, but look at the industries you have experience with already and 
kind of look and say, well, what could that, what could I do for safety in there? Because you can do something. You might not have ever seen the safety person where you worked before. They might not have ever been one. That's fine. Lots of employers are non-compliant. And, and you know what? It's not even for people who have work experience. If you've been a student, guess what? Your school has OHS responsibilities as well. So no matter what the industry is, a person can always build on that by entering the safety the safety profession and take that experience with them and not have to sort of toss it and say, well, now I'm doing something new. No, you embrace that and you can live it and you can bring it with you and it will always improve what you are doing in the future from a, from a safety perspective. That's what I got, Josh. It's awesome, man. The uh, Before I... I quickly highlight that. What's the best email that um, oh, I should email. share in the, in the yeah. link or in the show notes? Thanks. So my, my, the best email to get a hold of me is going to be the workplace support services email. So that's WSS at AMTA.ca. Just literally WSS at AMTA.ca. So we'll drop the link, but that's the easiest one to use. And uh, I'll be on the other end along with a couple of other uh, very competent individuals who can, who are there to help. Definitely. No, that's awesome. And yeah, my friend, the, uh, I kind of highlighted it when we first started and I try not to embarrass Dave publicly, but now's my only chance. So I'm going to run with it is I see from our, our collective associations approach, we're on a very ambitious mission to impact our industry. And Dave, you're a critical component of that. And I hit at the beginning, your ability to hear and your ability to impact and influence is so phenomenal, my friend. And it's what you just shared is so true because I think a lot of times people will have things to complain about because it's a good thing to complain about, but you don't really know what to do about it. You just, and you don't want to be the negative Nancy that's always complaining. But if it's a true, like this is wrong, well, it's probably wrong. And there is, if it's law that you want to refer to or someone equally, if not more intelligent in different capacities of when we're talking safety, there is opportunity for change though. And when you work with someone like Dave, and again, I, I'm I'm spoiled because I get to learn from him every day, but when you have a chance to really say, this is what I'm up against, or this doesn't feel right, or is this right? And you know, you can trust the, the information that's being shared. I think it's phenomenal. And as an advisor for a safety association, that's a critical attribute I think you have to have. So I celebrate you, my friend and Marina too. Um, being on the, obviously we were, when you mentioned URTAC, we were on URTAC together and just watching your journey in that moment too was super cool and knowing that we could, we're co-hosting or co-chairing meetings and knowing those that we were leading in those meetings are also influencers in our industry was also really nice to see and just I really celebrate you and who you are and yeah, just your journey. So um, just, yeah, as we end today, thank you so much for both of your time. Thank you just for the impact I know this has had on those listening and I'm excited to, yeah, if we rock out another podcast or obviously see you at conference but yeah great stuff so thank you again this was wonderful thanks dave yeah it was good to see you again marina yeah you too marina dave honestly thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today on the steering change podcast i really appreciate the insights that were shared during our conversation and especially as we dove into some of the critical components of a safety culture and how having the right mentors impacts your journey truly appreciate it thank you for listening to this episode of amta steering change podcast the views expressed by guests of the Steering Change Podcast are their own and may not reflect the views of AMTA, its hosts, or sponsors. Do you have a question that you would like answered on an upcoming episode of the Steering Change Podcast? We want to hear from you. To submit a question to the Steering Change Mailbag, hit up our DMs on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram with the hashtag SteeringChange, and your question will be answered either live on the podcast or by one of our SMEs here at AMTA. 
We ask that you share this episode with those in your network that could benefit from what we discussed today, and make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you can be notified when future episodes are released. You can learn more about us and our mission by visiting www.amta.ca. Now get out there and have a safe day.